One of the things that I, I guess I really hope that we come through this on the other side collectively is more empathy for people that deal with this uncertainty as almost a constant in their life. A lot of people fled to Europe and North America. And then Europe and North America became quite unsafe. And uh, people started coming back, and that's now two or three weeks in. People ask all the time if um, we stay in touch. And then I'm just like, well, yeah, like we're such good friends now. And I can't even imagine not getting updates and getting to talk to you guys. Hi. This is You and Me and Everyone We Know, an audio diary made by everyday people living through the COVID-19 pandemic. I'm Brent Love, and whether you're listening to this right now or you're a guest on this podcast, you are part of a community. You are not alone. Thank you for taking time to listen, time to connect, and time to remember that we are in this together. In this episode, we're talking to Giovanna, Maxi, and Tad. Giovanna is my family's surrogate and a quality manager for a chocolate company in Wisconsin. Maxi is a veterinary cardiologist in Hong Kong. And Tad is a product manager for Eastern Congo Initiative, who recently evacuated from Rwanda. In the first part of this episode, we're talking to my surrogate, Giovanna. You'll have to excuse me because really, I want to go on and on about how amazing this woman is. We met in 2016 when she started a journey with my husband and I to help bring our babies into the world. Giovanna carried two pregnancies for us, and now my husband and I have two incredible kids. In the show notes, I've linked to a couple episodes we made together on another podcast I make with an agency in Wisconsin called Hope Surrogacy. You can hear all about Giovanna and my surrogacy journey there. So I wanted to check in with Giovanna about what's going on during the pandemic with her and her family. Giovanna's built an incredible career working in labs and manufacturing throughout Wisconsin, and three weeks before the pandemic hit, she started a new position at a chocolate company. So, she's starting a new job, while raising three young kids at home with her husband, while they both work full-time. So on April 16th, I checked in with Giovanna to see how she was doing, and to talk about what we've seen in the surrogacy world since the pandemic hit. Hello. Hi. Oh my God. Hi. This is so nice. <laughs> no. Um. So we are starting a little bit later than we had planned because somebody lost a tooth. Yes. My son Braxton lost his <gasps> second tooth and it was wow. hanging on by a thread and it, it needed to come out. And I can't believe it. How did he, he do? Got it out. Uh, he gets, he's a little nervous where yeah. he's like, wait, wait, I, I, I have an itch. Wait, 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 wait. Uh, my neck hurts. <laughs> I'm like, let me just pull the thing out. It literally was hanging on by its thread. I like all I had to do was like slightly blow on it, really. Just turn it a little bit and it came right out. <laughs> oh man, it's just so it's crazy. Do you have a memory of what that feels like? Because I do actually. Like I can remember the, losing my teeth. Yes. Oh, actually that's his fourth tooth. I I'm sorry. Oh, I, yeah. That's his second big upper tooth. Um, yeah, I remember, see, I remember wanting it out when it was just slightly loose where mm. I'm like, Oh, we'll just pull it. And he likes to hold on to them until <laughs> their very last breath of life. Yeah. Right. <laughs> well, I, I remember like, it was like at the older I got, the more I was like, yeah, when I would feel it loose in the morning, I'd be like, this is going to be out by, by the time I get home from school. Yep. Determination. <laughs> 
especially because you wanted it to come out at school so that you could like show it off to people and you'd have like you know you go to the nurse's office or whatever and blood would come out your mouth and because <laughs> then you looked so cool yeah, yeah I, was, I was always was nervous really cool. about losing it when I was at school so if I oh. lost it at school they're so small but mm. nowadays it's kind of cool um because Braxton lost one of his teeth when he was at school and the in the office area they have these little cute little plastic tooth holders in the shape uh, of a tooth so they uh-huh. give them to the little kids so then they can take them home so they don't lose it not cute. not like ziploc bags that they used to give back in the old day but they're cute little you know memorabilia little tooth holders now uh-huh. do does the tooth fairy come to your house the tooth fairy does come to our house um but definitely Excellent. the tooth fairy um my son definitely thinks that the tooth fairy that comes here must be a different tooth fairy than some of the kids at school because some of the kids at school talk about how their tooth fairy brought $20 and ours definitely is not the <laughs> Beverly Hills class tooth fairy. So. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that tooth fairy. Um, everyone gets their own special tooth fairy. That's the, that's yep. the real truth of it all. Um, yep. Okay, so we have talked a lot about becoming parents. You're like our guru for parenting. You've been (laughs) the person that we ask all the time, every step of the way. (laughs) You didn't tell me parenting was going to get this hard. (laughs) Oh, I did. This is a new level, Giovanna. This is a new level. Such cloud nine that (laughs) you were like, oh no, it's all like cotton candy and rainbows. Uh, Well, I did have (laughs) a cotton candy. That is true. But this is a new level with the pandemic is what I mean. It is. Oh, yes. This pandemic layer of parenting is a challenge I don't think we could have prepared for on this journey we've been on. Yeah, this is I mean, this is newer for me, too. Mm -hmm. You know, being at home with your kids, usually there's an outlet that you can go somewhere and like kind of divert to get breaks. But with this, it's. You know, really, you're limited on what you can do and where you can go. So you have to get really creative. Yeah, um, yeah and... it's been quite a challenge for us mm-hmm. in that two out of our three children are in school age, or school age. So we have, I work at home full time now with the stay at home, the stay safer at home order. Yeah. Uh, my husband just started working from home too because of it, and we're working full time plus trying to be teachers at the same time. So it's quite challenging. It becomes stressful, especially when the kids kind of see the same environment every day. So, you know, it's definitely, they don't get um, a break either. No. And it's, yeah. And so that's what makes it a little challenging. And, you know, with, with Wisconsin weather that we're in, we never know what we're going to get. And <laughs> did you guys get snow we, like this last week? We did. Yes. I yeah. had to bring my plants inside that I planted. I know. Um, yeah. We've been getting a lot of house, tro- house stuff done, um, which is nice. But now it's like, okay, I'm going to start probably doing demolitions of walls because <laughs> I'm, now I'm running out of stuff to do <laughs> in the house. <laughs> um, okay. So I have, a, I have a parenting question. Are you guys able to take breaks? Like, how do you do it? Oh, man. Like, um, take it like solo breaks, you know? We, yes, we try to do that. I'll go out and um, like go for a run or do my own workout 
things. Cole will do stuff with the kids, kind of the things that they like to do together mm-hmm. while I kind of do my own thing. Um, so when it's weekends or really weekends is a, the time that we can have those breaks during the week, mm-hmm. it's quite hard, especially because we're focusing on schoolwork when we're done yeah. with work for the day. Yeah. Um, so, you know, and during, during the, the work day, it's difficult because Cole, my husband will be, he takes calls, he does inside sales. So whenever the phone rings, he's got to answer. Uh, so it's, um, you know, the kids are usually down by me a lot, which is a distraction. And <laughs> you just kind of learn to like, learn to figure out how you can stay focused with all these, uh, the three ring circus, as I call it going on behind <laughs> me. <laughs> and, uh, I know them well enough to know they want you. They want your attention. Yeah. They want to hang with you. Yeah. They, they literally, it's like, they just follow. They're like my shadows and <laughs> I just, yeah, it's, I like it. It's, I love that feeling of always wanting to be wanted by my mm-hmm. children. But at the same time, I'm like, I wish sometimes I could turn it off. But then the moment I turn it off, then I want it back again. So <laughs> I know. What was I telling? Uh, I was talking to my mom about it this morning. It was like, I don't want to break from them. I just want to break from the work. You know, (laughs) like the, the mental effort of what are we going to do for the next meal and what, how are they going to be, you know, um, busy for the next hour or what, and how I'm going to achieve this goal while they're, you know, like, how am I going to get the laundry done? Or how am I going to get this thing of work done while they stay busy? And you, it's like a gymnastics all the time, like all day long. Yep. It is. It's quite, yes, orchestrating it all. It's just very mentally draining at times. Um, Well, like my little guy, Bryson, he's so funny. He has just so much to say. Mm. I'll be working and he'll come over and say, Mom, I have to show you something. My my head is so long in my reflection. And I'm like, what are you talking about? (laughs) And he takes me into the bathroom with him and he steps on his step stool and looks into the faucet. And his reflection from the faucet, it's like one of those funhouse mirrors. So his his head looks bigger. But he just had to tell me about it because it it made such an imprint on him. And he had to share it with me. And, you know, moments like that, I take a step back because I'm, you know, so indulged in my work. And then I get pulled away. And I'm like, oh, that, you know, that's a good moment. I need to, I need to, you know, enjoy these moments. (laughs) And there's more of them now. There's more of them right now because you, we do... We're, we're forced to spend so much time with kids that would normally be at daycare or at school, but we get all, we get more moments like that, which is the silver lining, the other side of it. Yep. Yes. And that's why I, I need to remind myself to always to keep, keep those close to my heart because, you know, when you're in the day-to-day routine where literally you're with each other all the time and it just feels like it's just a hamster wheel. Mm-hmm. you really need to pull yourself back out just to remember to enjoy those moments because and appreciate them um, even more so now Yeah, <laughs> because we have, you know, we have so much more availability to those moments. So, yeah, I've been trying to write them down, which has been useful. Um, that, You're always so helped. good at that. You're always yeah. good at tracking those things. I try. Uh, <laughs> so the, the newest one. So, okay. So Casper, um, is making a lot of sounds. He's crawling around. He's very physically active. 
Um, he's getting not, so big. He's so big. I mean, he's 10 months. Can you imagine? I, get, I guess I kind of, it's crazy. Um, and he uh, is, is starting to express his wants through screaming and gurgling. And it's, it's all. Oh, yeah. Fun. Like you could tell he's he's figuring out his world and what he wants out of it, which is, is so fun to watch him change in that way. And then with Phoebe, we have arrived at the run around the house stage. Finally. <laughs> and, uh, you know, you've got three of those right now. And yep. uh, Phoebe's just gotten there. So she does the, you know, one, one end of the house to the other, which is bound like, for no reason. She's just, she's just running. She just wants to feel. I like, I like to say it, it keeps you young yet ages you at the same time. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it is so true. But you know, with all that energy, one of the cool things that's happening is, um, we have after dinner dance party before bed. Oh, and that's so, so fun. Yeah. We have like 15 to 20 minutes of, of dancing in the playroom. And it's so nice. We would not be doing that if we didn't have this time. If we hadn't had yeah. to like change our routine so much. And the best part is that those are moments that she, I guarantee you, she enjoys and she looks forward to every day yeah. to do that. So that's really cool. And now that everyone is FaceTiming so much, the other thing that's changed is she is at, like asking all the time at mealtime is when we call people because we're all finally just sitting down and you can actually have a conversation with people. Yeah. And so she has her people. She wants to call and she goes down the list, grandmothers, uh, aunts, you know, she just wants to my, her granddad, she wants to talk to everyone. And, uh, (laughs) that's really fun. And that's become part of the routine. That wasn't part of our routine before. Oh, cute. Yeah. It, that's, so that's really fun. Um, okay. So, uh, what is work like for you now? Because I, you changed jobs yep. very yep, recently yep. and then all of a sudden things were a lot different than you expected them to be. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was only in the office for three weeks before, um, you know, I was uprooted to work from home. So, you know, it's a challenge in itself to learn all new processes and protocols and expectations at a new company and um, only having three weeks of a glimpse of it and then to be at home now and kind of like venturing um, to self find my resources. I have a lot of coworkers that reach out, which is great. They're really um, helpful. They're really there for me. They're, They're, you know, they're always offering support where if I need anything, which is great. But me, I'm one that's like, I'm like, oh, I'll, you know, I can figure it out. And I try my hardest to try to figure out and exhaust all my avenues before I ask for help. Um, just because I don't like being a burden on anybody. Mm. And I just, me internally, I just have so much determination to figure it out on my own. Oh, yeah. Um, but yeah, it's it's definitely been interesting trying to kind of work with this whole new routine at home and get familiarized with my new my new role with my new company but it's been um it's been going it's been going fine um you know i've been utilizing my resources and that being my coworkers and just yeah. utilizing what i um have from what i was shown um for the time i was in the office but you know i work with chocolate now which Business Which is, is booming. Awesome. <laughs> Business is totally booming. People love their chocolate, even when they are safer at home. I think that actually people are self self soothing with eating totally. chocolate. Totally. 
Well, that's pretty awesome that uh, there's um, some security in that right now. Yeah. In terms of the working world. I'm like super happy to hear that that's going well because um, this is a crazy financial time as much as it is a crazy health time. Yeah, it is. And I, you know, I don't take for granted how fortunate um, it is for me right now because I know that's not the case for everybody out there. Um, You know, it's definitely a tough time. It's definitely uncharted waters and it's definitely unique. Every situation, every person has something they're dealing with it from the effects of what's going on right now. Yeah. Everyone's touched by it. Everyone. Yes. And uh, uh, I'm, I'm happy thinking about you all at home and like as, as crazy as I imagine it being, I'm really happy that, I mean, you know, you, you, you like to have things, you know, locked down. You're very good at process. You're very good at, um, reorganizing, reorienting. And so I just know that you're like super successful at this, at navigating this craziness. Yeah, I tried. It definitely comes with stressors, um, where I have to take a deep breath, you know, those times where it's it all like hits you and you get chaotic and then you just gotta breathe yeah, and just get through it. <laughs> one, so one thing that I've been thinking a lot uh, about has been, you know, around this time last year, you were seven months pregnant with Casper. Is that right? Cause I know it was like came, six, I think six and a half yeah. months. Yeah. Or six and a half. Yeah. Six and a half um, to seven. And I have just been thinking a lot like how crazy it would be if we were on that journey now. Like yeah. that would be nuts. Have you yes. thought about that? I I have friends right now that are expecting. Um and I just think about the craze of, you know, what they have to go through when they go into their clinics to get just their routine checkups or even what it will be like potentially in the labor delivery room. Cause as things are right now, depending on where you are, your significant other might not be able to get in, be brought into the room. Or one of my friends is a surrogate right now for an intended couple. And I'm not even sure if they will, if the intended parents will be able to get, to come in the room during delivery, yeah. you know, and yeah. that's something that makes my heart hurt because I, that's a moment that I really wanted for you and Charlie. And that just makes me so sad for a family that that could potentially be taken away from them. You know, yeah. seeing your child born is a huge, huge milestone and a huge memory that you just keep in your brain forever. So yeah, it's a crazy thought. You know, I I feel very, very lucky that we are 10 months out from that moment right now. Yeah. You know, and I, I talked to Amy on the podcast from Hope, Hope Surrogacy. Mm-hmm. Um, and we were talking about an intended couple, um, some parents and their surrogate who were preparing for a, a delivery that was coming up very quickly. And, um, at the time that we talked, she, she, you know, the doctors were thinking that the parents weren't going to be allowed in the delivery room. And actually it turned out that they did, the intended parents did get to go into the delivery room. with the Oh, surrogate. good. Yeah. Good. Which was major, but I know, you know, that's something that every doctor and every surrogate and every surrogate's partner and every parent is having to kind of talk about right now. 
Yeah. You know, and, and they have to just, out. Be, yeah. And just look at all the risks and, you know, yeah. make their, the best, best decision that they can for themselves for, yeah. you know, for everyone involved, the hospitals, the staff, uh, the surrogate and intended parents and surrogates, you know, um, support system and everything. Yeah. It's yeah. a lot. It's a lot more difficult than, you know, what you hope for going into it. Mm-hmm. Um, it was, you know, obviously the two best days of my life were when you brought our two babies into the world. And I, they were beautiful days. Crazy with Casper <laughs> coming unexpectedly. That was nuts. I know. That was nuts. Yeah, when I call, I'm like, so don't panic. <laughs> but he my came. Water what was broke. it? Four weeks early. He was came four weeks. Yes, early? he yeah. did. He was ready to come out. He was so ready. Like you know, a eight pound baby at you know four weeks early. He was ready. Um, oh yeah. And uh, one of my favorite memories from that is because. You know, we had all stayed up all night that you and your husband, Cole, and my husband and me. And um, and then at one point, Cole and me and Charlie were all asleep. <laughs> and you're just sitting there like, guys, <laughs> I've been you up guys- all night. <laughs> <laughs> you guys, I wish you could have seen the lasers on my eyes just staring at you guys just sleeping. I've, I was like, oh, you know, and then you just like, you're like, you're not thinking you're, I mean, we were so tired, um, but you were more tired than all of us. Uh, we couldn't have just been more clueless at that moment. Well, yeah, but then the cherry on it was you waking up and you're like, oh, I'm so well rested. And I'm like, what? Come again. Like, you can, you can just, uh, step out of the room now before. Oh man. Oh man, I, I was, was just funny. being such a dude, you know. I was just so, such a dude right there. I was just like I'm so well rested. Oh geez. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, those those memories are so beautiful, and um, my heart is going out to every woman who is pregnant with her own child, or every surrogate, and all the parents. Like, this is a special time, and mm-hmm. um, I'm like, just feel like I want to cheer for all of them getting through it, mm-hmm. but. But it will pass. I mean, I remember you talking to us about, you know, whatever obstacles were in front of us. And there weren't really obstacles during the pregnancy, but just as going through parenthood, it's like, yeah, you get through it and you just savor the good stuff. Yep. And I mean, it, it's just, there's memories and you can try the best you can to make make it picture perfect of how you foresee things going, but it's never always exactly how you plan it. And you just have to make the best of what you have. So try to focus on the good, um, that, you know, can be coming from, from what's going on right now in the world. You know, you only hope for the best and make it what you can make, make lemons out of lemonade, as they say. Right. And, you know, uh, we can both, now that we're both parents uh, and have been for years now, we can both say it is totally worth it when you get through the hard, you know, whatever hard stuff there is to get through. It's Definitely. totally worth it. You feel accomplished and that you can conquer pretty much anything, yeah. especially when you get through battles with toddlers. When you, <laughs> when you come out with <laughs> still feeling like you're winning, like even yep. if it's a little, a little bit, 
yeah. you're winning. <laughs> yeah, totally. They're still alive um, and breathing and they're eating. It's it's a good day. <laughs> it is yeah, totally. Uh okay, so um I always ask at the end of every episode um, if you have any words of encouragement for people who might be out there and just need a little love or support today. Yeah, just take it day by day. Um sometimes, you know, things that you hear on the news are with lockdowns and safer at homes, they project, you know, into summertime when things will get lifted or when we start seeing like glimmers, glimmers of hope, but you know, things can change and you just got to take it day by day and try not to let it stress you out. Definitely do what you got to do to get through the day and try to look at those accomplishments that you get to. Um, look at, try to look at something to focus on. Like I actually three weeks ago started to channel focusing on my health again and getting back into a better workout routine and, um, a more healthier eating routine. Nice. And I've actually, um, have lost over seven pounds. Wow. Um, so it's, yeah. So just focusing Dang. on kind of those, cause it helps me focus on me a little bit in my own way in my own time where it's not taking too much away from my kids and my family. So when it's little things like that, that just has me, my focus directed in a positive way. So try to do things like that. Just, you know, it, it, it does help, you know, make you feel a little, little better. You got to get some wins. (laughs) Yes, for sure. Um, Thank you so much for doing this. I love talking to you you. every time. I always love talking to you. And yeah. I love getting pictures of you and your family all the time. I just love it. People ask all the time if um, we stay in touch. And then I'm just like, well, yeah, like we're yeah. such good friends now. And I can't even imagine not getting updates and getting to talk to you guys on a oh, yeah. weekly, um, you know, or every couple weeks basis. So I mean, all the graduations, the weddings, you know, it's all coming. It's all coming yes. your way. And I'm excited. <laughs> I'm excited yeah. for all of it. All right. Well, love you and uh, give uh, love to Cole and the kids for me. All right. Will do. Love you too. Hugs to everybody. I will. Bye. Bye. In the second part of this episode, we're talking to Maxie. Maxie is a veterinary cardiologist in Hong Kong. The two of us met when Maxie lived in Minneapolis. We hung out here, and when we did, we mostly spent time talking about food and culture. But when we talked on April 3rd, I wanted to know how she was handling the pandemic in a place hit so hard by the SARS outbreak in 2003. Maxie was cautious, especially since a second wave was hitting Hong Kong at the time. She explained to me how she sees the second wave. She shared her thoughts about pets at the time, and we talk about the possibilities for her dating life during a pandemic. Hello. Hi. How are you? Hi, Maxie. I'm so good. I'm so glad you're doing this. This is so amazing. Uh, Thank you for doing that, actually, because, I mean, especially with the whole situation of self-isolation, everybody's just sitting at home a lot of times, and there's not a lot of social uh, contact or communication. Yeah, it's um, it's, it's a a tough time to be sitting at home right now. I think a lot of times people dream about having a, you know, a staycation and uh, 
This is a bit much. That is a really extended <laughs> staycation, right? Yeah. You never leave actually from your staycation. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's like a staycation you can never, uh, it never ends. I mean, hopefully it ends at some point. Um, okay, can you, like, I honestly have very little idea what your life is like right now. Um, can, what is going on in Hong Kong? Uh, so, uh, so I moved here three and a half years ago, um, for mm -hmm. a job in, a, um, veterinary hospital. So I'm a veterinary cardiologist, mm -hmm. um, still doing that as before. And, uh, to be honest, in terms of my work, not so many things have changed. So basically I still have oh. to show up at work. Um, of course. Um, the things that are urgent, the animals that need to be seen will still be seen and need to see me. I think um, it's more like stable patients that don't need me urgently will say, uh, I don't want to come out. Can you just give me a refill on the medication, which yeah. is fair. Um, because things are getting worse in Hong Kong now because we are living the second wave, unfortunately. Oh. Um, we have implemented more safety rules and regulations as work as well. Uh, for example, trying to minimize contact with clients, uh, trying to get basically just collect the animal and then drop the animal off again with the owner and then do a lot of communication either uh, via phone or email or Zoom, of course, if they want to see my face. That's uh, always an option too, if mm -hmm. somebody really insists. Um, the U.S. is doing it a little differently. Basically, they do drive-bys. They just drop the animal off and they stay in the car. And But that's not really an option, of course, in Hong Kong. Yeah. So how long has this been going on for you? Um, oh, the quarantine, the self, the isolation thing. And to that extreme, not that long. So um, I, I do remember when we heard the first news from China, um, and that was probably either late December or early January, uh, mm -hmm. when we heard about a SARS-like disease coming or happening in Wuhan. Um, then it got, basically just completely got shut down. Um, I heard the next thing I heard was that six doctors got uh, arrested for spreading false rumors, totally China-like. Mm -hmm. And so then I thought, oh, there's something more to it. So Hong Kong people are still living under the trauma of the SARS epidemic in uh, 2003 or four. It was, I think. Yeah. Um, so everybody uh, already in, uh, I think in January, people started wearing masks on the streets. So people became more careful. Um, but I think to the extreme of uh, really uh, self and social distancing, maybe a month for me, probably a little longer, probably six to eight weeks. I tried to stick to myself. And I'm also quite wow. careful at work. Um because um, I don't know whether you heard or not, but there were animals that tested positive for COVID. Oh. Um, so this is a little putting definitely an awareness to my line as, of work as well. And that is for two reasons. Uh, number one, of course, uh, you have animals that could potentially live in a COVID household and they just yeah. could have it in their fur. For example, like you have a dirty surface, like a fomite. Uh, we have a dirty surface mm -hmm. and you touch it because somebody else touched it. Uh, then you could just pick it up from there and then you touch your face. Uh, so the same applies to animals. So they could either, for example, carry it outside on them or they could potentially be infected with them. 
So one of the three animals, one dog, actually uh, did have an antibody response. So that means that the immune system uh, responded to it. So there was an infection. For the other two animals, the infection has not been proven yet. Just they were carriers. And there's another cat from Belgium that was also a carrier, apparently. Wow. Yeah. That feels... That feels more dangerous for you than I thought it would be. Uh, yeah, I didn't. I didn't see that coming either. Um, well, I think I'm a little probably the strictest at work to keep myself and my team safe. Um, mm-hmm. So basically, long sleeves, uh, so you don't have any direct uh, contact with the animal. Um, I do wear gloves. I do wear fake glasses. Uh, ideally, they're mm-hmm. cute, so I don't look ridiculous. Uh, <laughs> just to, <laughs> in case the dog sneezes on you, which happens all the time, of course. Um, but yes, I'm, I'm definitely a little bit more careful about handling animals because you don't know whether they are from a COVID household or not. Um, there has not been proven um, an infection from an animal to a human. So, uh, you know, my biggest concern always is that people are getting scared of having animals now. And they want to abandon the animal, but I think there is no need for doing that. It's just the other way around, actually, that the animal might be taken up from the human. Wow. Wow. Uh, I feel like um, I just don't know anything about veterinary medicine. And now I'm just like, that feels a lot scarier than I thought. Uh, like, I mean, I you said that and you're you're worried about people's relationships with their animals and I'm like I'm a little worried well you know your cat is an indoor cat right so uh, the chances of a cat to pick it up the only person to pick it up for your cat would be from you as a human that are living with your cat yeah so there wouldn't be a chance uh, the other way around because um, your cat would have to get in touch with it and contact with it so that's that's uh, pretty safe but Do you have any advice for people with uh, dogs who might be like going out for walks with their dogs and so on? It, it is really difficult because, I mean, if, if you look at the recommendation from the CDC, for example, for ex- um, because they're like, oh, yeah, should I, for example, wash my dog or should I wipe it down? Um, but I usually say that the difficulty is that apparently the hair structure of fur um, is a little bit porous. So, for example, that virus material and part- particles will get entrapped in there. So even if you wash them down, unless you soak them for a really long time, even if it's in there, you might not be able to uh, get rid of all of it. But I think mm. it just it's, it's just a lot of common sense in the end. So, for example, if you touch your pet, wash your hands before, um, avoid kissing your pet because if you might be a COVID carrier and you don't even know it because you don't have symptoms or you are still in the phase of not having developed symptoms yet, by kissing the head or whatever you want to kiss off your dog. Sometimes people do, and, you know, we are all affectionate people. Um, you might be just uh, leaving COVID on the fur. So maybe just try to avoid doing that and just employ normal kind of hygienic measures. Um, as you touch your dog, you wash your hands before you, you know, touch yourself or your face or before you handle food, for example. It's just, I think a lot of things just come back to common sense. Um yeah, I think the the worst thing you can really just, do here is just being scared of your animals. That's definitely yeah. not the uh, message I want to get out. Yeah, and people, I mean, you know, fam, uh, animals are family to so many people. Yeah, absolutely, um, absolutely. So I know that uh, 
and they're also a, a source of joy right now for people. People going out to the people I see walking around in my neighborhood are all people with dogs. It, you know, it, I don't. I, I hardly ever see anyone by themselves. <laughs> it doesn't, isn't it? it? It gives you a reason to get up. It gives you a reason to get excited for the day. And I think that's the best you can really do. Just keep yourself active, yeah. do something. And especially if you're uh, distancing to other people, it's it's quite nice to have a pet here, right? Yeah, I think so. I, I you know, uh, I think even more people will consider, especially since they're staying home, getting a pet right now. <laughs> I saw that some uh, shelters had really, really a, a good time right now finding fosters for the animal. That's amazing. Mm -hmm. Because everyone's just hanging out at home. Yeah, might as well. <laughs> the dogs must be yeah. so happy at the moment in time, right? It's like, I bet. Oh, I bet. All the time. Yeah. You know, I don't actually know this. Do you have pets? I do not know. Hong Kong is not you're... the most pet-friendly yeah. environment, I find. Um, um, and yet, uh, all of your patients are animals. So they are. People they have are pets. indeed. Yes, yes. And I think, you know, it's... You know, if, if you look at it in the grand scheme, so there are a lot of shelter animals in Hong Kong. And of mm. course, um, would a shelter animal have a better life with me than in a shelter? Absolutely, yes. But then on the other hand, I'm kind of spoiled growing up in Germany. We had a house, we had a garden, <laughs> and I had my huskies in the garden, and the cats were indoor outdoor cats. So I'm a little bit spoiled maybe in my expectations, but I want to provide yeah. to animals. I guess that's more... Huskies are a particular kind of dog oh to my God. grow up with. They would punish me so hard. I wouldn't run them. <laughs> they would destroy the whole garden or the inside of the house. Do you uh, you know that I grew up with huskies? I didn't know that. Yeah. In Texas, we had uh, huskies growing up. Oh, how many did you have? Yeah. Uh, we didn't, uh, we really had one and then for a few years, um, we had another one. We, we got him as an adult. Oh, and so, okay, okay. Um, yeah. And then, uh, for a while we had some puppies and, um, she wasn't, uh, our dog Misha was her name. She wasn't a great, uh, she wasn't good at being pregnant, I'll say. <laughs> so, uh, we, you know, we just let her off the hook. <laughs> he said, "Yeah, you know, you don't have to do this anymore." <laughs> She's like, not "That's a long story. Not, not no details, no, um, no juicy details, as oh, it were." All right, all right, all right. Yeah. So, how are you so, holding okay. up? How are you holding up? How are the kids? How's Charlie? We're doing good. Yeah. Oh, Charlie's good. Um, the kids are good. We're in a bit of a holding pattern now. You know, I think with everyone else, it's like we don't know what's going to happen next week. Yeah. So we're just trying to enjoy as everything there is to enjoy right now and do the work that we can do from our home. And it's a very strange time. And we've been um, staying at home now for uh, over three weeks. Mm -hmm. So uh, it feels like a long time and, I, and it's going to be longer. <laughs> well, I guess having a garden helps. And well, really for me, it's like uh, just physical activity and just walking is really keeping me sane at the moment. Um, Good. So my workplace is roughly like four kilometers away. So I have been walking to and back home from work for the past three or four weeks, to be honest, because just having fresh air and just moving around, getting your heart rate up a little bit has really helped me a lot, to be honest, just to de-stress. And yeah. Are, the, are there businesses around you open 
everything is open. We don't have the same open. arrangement of, uh, well, not everything anymore, actually. Um, as of yesterday, which is Friday, 6 p.m., they closed all bars and pubs and or businesses that are mainly um, serving alcohol. Mm. Um, but everything yeah. else is still open. Wow, okay. So not as strict as what's going on here. No, I think we had, um, we had we, in the beginning, we were quite lucky, actually, with the amount of cases. I think we had less than 100 in the beginning, and then now we're dealing with a second wave. Uh, the second wave is caused yeah. by, uh, so when it all hits and uh, living close to the mainland China was very scary, uh, a lot of people fled to Europe and North America. And then, oh, Europe, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. and then Europe and North America became <laughs> quite unsafe and uh, people started coming back and that's now two or three weeks in. Um, and we have now, I just checked it earlier today, actually, we have now 843 cases. You know, that's yeah. and the, the majority of the cases, really imported cases. Of course, we have some of uh, kind of local contacts here. So that's why they are closing down on the bar scene because a lot of the local cases are due to bar hopping or um, clubs mm. and stuff. So they've closed down on that. But apart from that, we were in the beginning very lucky. And the reason for that is because in Hong Kong, everybody's wearing a mask. And in as much as I know that the... Uh, everybody was arguing, well, it doesn't really protect you from getting it. But if you may have it and you don't know, but you're wearing a mask, at least you don't spread it. And I think that's when the beginning or why in the beginning the cases were quite low in Hong Kong. Um, because Hong Kong people are just used to wearing a mask all the time. If somebody's getting yeah. sick, wear a mask. Just normally. You were mentioning that um, their, ex their experience, was it 2003? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it was 2003 yeah. and uh, Hong Kong was um, just really burned yeah. by that, I think. So there's a culture, uh, I would guess, of being more careful. Yeah, yeah, um, absolutely. And I think they had actually quite a lot of um, people that died at that time. I don't know what the exact numbers are, but I think they had almost like 800 people total worldwide dying, but it was like 300 in Hong Kong, so a really high percentage. And I think that's also where all the uh, the panic buying was coming from in Hong Kong because uh, especially happening right now with, with the toilet paper and stuff and mm. masks and sanitizers because people don't really trust the government um, and also mm. not the information that is released coming from China. And so everybody is just trying to do their part because they cannot wait for the government to do something for their all good, I guess. Wow. Wow. Well, um, how are you like staying calm in all this? You know, you're saying you're going walking. Um, are, are you spending most of your time either at work or in the apartment? Um, so walking definitely on my days off, I try to go hiking. Um, hiking is, mm -hmm. it is really interesting. And, uh, because Hong Kong has, um, a really huge percentage of surface area that's just greenery and hiking areas and hiking spots oh how nice and so i try to do that on the weekends but it has become a very very popular sport now as well because everybody's doing it because the gyms are closed for example so yeah that that is closed yeah. actually gyms are closed and um any concert halls are closed too so people are trying to venture out so it can be getting really crowded on trials now too which is funny you try to evade 
people and humanity and then there's nothing mm-hmm. but people out there so it's not yep. necessarily the safest thing so i try to go very early so that means it's like i try to get up at 4 30 and then i leave really oh. early to not meet a lot of people so i'm done midday did you do that today i did not know um i had to go into work uh, early in the morning because i forget something oh. um but i might be doing it tomorrow um depending on the weather it's a little overcast and rainy at the moment wow Wow. Um, okay, so this is, you know, how you've been in Hong Kong for three years? Mm-hmm. Three and a half, yeah, yeah. Three and a half years. Um, this is your first time experiencing something like this in Hong Kong, but uh, you've lived uh, on a lot of places. Are you connecting, you know, to your friends and family in Minnesota and Germany and... Um, and staying connected to people? Oh, I definitely try. I'm trying to reach out to my mom um, and her partner. They are living in Germany in as much as I can. Uh, my yeah. dad is in Vietnam, so he's a little closer in theory, but I can obviously not go there at the moment. So I yeah. check in on him every now and then because his health is not very good, um, so which is a little challenging. Because now, How are they doing, your parents? Um, well, so, so my dad has, uh, has cancer, so, um, which is very unfortunate, oh. of course. Oh. And, um, so the hospital where he I'm was, so sorry. Supposed, yeah, I know, thank you, um, has been going on for a couple of years and I has been doing quite well, to be honest. Um, but oh, they found okay. more metastasis and so he was supposed to get chemo and they had to, um, postpone his planned chemo treatment because I had positive cases at the hospital and so they had to quarantine everybody and the area as well. And so he doesn't know when this is happening, which is quite scary, is, probably and frustrating yeah. for him too, because he doesn't know when this hospital is going to open again. Um, wow. My mom is quite lucky because she's living with her partner in a place that is not uh, densely populated. There also the house where they're living in is a little uh, further away from everybody else. So the most amount of contact uh, they will have with people as when she's going shopping. So it's it should be okay. Yeah. So wow. Well, um, I, I having fa- family myself that's far away. I know how much it means when people are reaching out, and it's not, I'm glad you're able to connect to them. Thank goodness for modern technology. I think in a time Absolutely. like this. How's your family holding up? They're okay. Everyone's yeah. a little rattled, but. Yeah. Uh, but I think um, staying connected on the internet has really, really helped quite a lot. Yeah, I can um, imagine. I think, uh, I think it would be a lot harder if we didn't have video calling. Yeah, yeah. That would, that's, that's for sure. Definitely. So, but everyone's just sitting in at home. And uh, I think we're starting now because really this isolation um, has really taken effect most places in the country very seriously now for three weeks or so. And so in the beginning, everyone was like, oh, how not, okay, well, we're going to stay home for a couple weeks. You know, the president came out and said, uh, you know, here's my recommendation, stay two weeks away from people, etc." So, okay, so we're going to, you know, do our yoga now. And, oh, I don't know what I'm going to binge on TV. <laughs> and I think that we're right at the beginning of, okay, this is, this is getting emotionally more difficult. <laughs> cabin fever, huh? So, yep. Yeah, cabin fever. And um, I think uh, 
it's starting to sink in that things aren't going to just be like, okay, let's go home for two weeks and then we'll come out and go back to life again. Yeah. That's, um, I think that's, that's the scariest part actually, that you don't know how long this is gonna, gonna go on. So for example, um, I live by myself. So mm-hmm. with my only social contacts are at the moment at work, which is kind of odd. Yeah. Uh, and then you just go back to be by yourself. One way it has benefits. Uh, I can decrease the amount of contacts I have and the exposure to possible mm-hmm. infection. I always have to see the bright side in life, but it's, <laughs> <laughs> it is it is still not ideal. It is also not ideal for dating, you know. <laughs> oh my gosh! Um, is the, is it well? Okay, so you're not on total lockdown. Is it still possible? Oh well, I, it, 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 of course it's possible. But you know, the last thing I want to exchange right now at the moment is bodily fluids. You know, it's like, <laughs> <laughs> do you really want to be so close to somebody? Well, the kind of no, a dating yeah. thing well, is there... extra distance. Uh, not sure. <laughs> is it is it possible? <laughs> Is it oh God. Is it possible to have a date six feet away from someone, do you think? Oh, I, I don't think so, really. You know, of course, all of those dating apps is like, it's nice to uh, text with someone. But, you know, if I want to text with someone, I can just text with my friends. You know? <laughs> oh, my God. I was just thinking, OK, I don't know. If, I don't think this happens on any of the straight dating apps. But, you know, um, the gay dating apps will sometimes have like how far away someone is from you. Oh, yeah. I remember right, yeah, when yeah. I was. Yeah, 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 right? And so they'll be like, okay, this person is two miles away. But then they'll be like, this person is 1,500 feet away. And then and then you're like, can you imagine? They're like, this person is six feet away. Okay, this person is five feet away. Oh, no, too close, too close. There should be an alarm. It's like the wing, 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 wing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, too close. Back up, back up. <laughs> yeah, there are, there, wow, there, yeah. There are challenges in life, even with modern technology, you know? It's so funny now. Okay, so do you are you watching Netflix? Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Okay. So have you seen that Love Is Blind show? I have not. It always pops up in my recommendations, but I did not yeah, yeah. go there yet. So the whole Love Is Blind show came out. You know, of course, before all of this is going on, and uh, the Love Is Blind show is all about people who only um, talk. I think they. I think it's that they talk but they haven't seen the person. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of uh, talking and exchange like that, but they've never actually met in person. And then I think they get engaged to be married. And so, and then they film this period of their engagement and it sounds crazy, but if this goes on too long, (laughs) that's actually going to be a reality. (laughs) You're going to have to like be seriously committed to someone before you meet them in person. Damn. Did they go to the future and come, can come back? I know. Right. I'm like, it's, uh, I don't know. Um, if they knew all of this was gonna, well, of course they didn't know all this is going to come down, but, but it's kind of crazy to think, um, wow, it's kind of a prophetic show. (laughs) It's kind of sad too, isn't it? Well, what, yeah, it's crazy. I, I really hope that we still can exchange pictures, you know? Yeah, right. <laughs> well, video calls will still be possible, but exactly. you know, then it's like, okay, well, I guess if we're going to meet, I'll see you in two weeks. Neither of us can go uh, see, like, neither of us can leave our apartments two weeks and then I will oh. meet you. And also <laughs> you know? we, we probably have to give a short, la- short list on your closest contacts. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly but i'm just at like i i would want to have a like some kind of gps guarantee that they haven't left their apartment in two weeks 
you know, well, like some kind of GPS tracking. That is actually reality in Hong Kong. So whoever comes to Hong Kong at the moment gets um, uh, a nice bracelet. And I was just listening to one of the previous episodes of your when um, your friend was talking about the Corona bracelet. And I was just thinking, we already have the Corona bracelet. The government oh gives it to you. GPS <gasps> tracker. So if you come to Hong Kong right now, um, you go into um, home quarantine, basically. They give you a GPS tracking uh, bracelet and they will call you, I think, multiple times a day to make sure that you are where you are supposed to be. They also ask you to get your temperature twice a day, I think. Uh, so wow. yeah, there are those devices. <laughs> wow. Well, Hong Kong is much smaller geographically than... Uh, it's easier. Than, yeah, so it's a bit easier. Mm -hmm. I can't imagine. I just can't imagine them doing that in the US. And also we have, um, I, I think, just a larger number of people who might uh, object in a very serious way. But no matter, I, I think people should... Uh, should take it seriously Don't yeah leave your absolutely house. absolutely right if you look at what's happening in multiple countries where people are dying and doctors on the front line have to make decisions what's That's the best much. possible outcome could be and who should go on a ventilator or not jesus this is so scary a friend yeah, of so mine stay home yeah definitely people stay home if you can be lucky that you can stay home and you do not have to get exposed to possible uh the virus yourself yeah that's right a friend, yeah, a friend of mine was sending me an article today that people, also veterinarians in Chicago, volunteered to help on the front lines as well. And I mean, uh, that is that is so scary that they don't have enough medical staff anymore. That um, nobody, basically everybody with a medical education, uh, can volunteer or would be good to yeah. volunteer. That is that is quite frightening, to be honest. Yeah. And I'm not saying frightening because vets are not good at what they're doing. I just think it's frightening no, no. that we have to go to a different species. Yeah. Well, we were laughing and now we're sad again. But I, I think that's the nature of, of, of this time. So yeah. I am um, super grateful for you coming on the podcast. And uh, I really had a good time um, talking, especially hearing your experience. And I'm just so grateful that you shared it. I have one more question, sure. which I ask everyone, mm -hmm. which is, um, do you have any words of encouragement for people who are listening who might just need some kind words from a friendly voice? Yeah, be grateful for what you have. Um, for example, be grateful if you can stay at home so you don't have to expose yourself to the virus. Be grateful for the people in your life. Be grateful for technology and use it. Reach out. Um, there is so much stuff to do. And even if you're too scared to go outside, there are a lot of exercises you can do even in a small place at home to yeah. keep yourself fit and get your heart right up for a little bit. Yeah. Well, thanks very much. Thank you for having me. So good to, to hear your voice. It's so good to hear your voice. I'll talk soon. All right. Bye. Bye-bye. In the last part of this episode, my friend Carly brings a special guest to the podcast, her husband, Tad. You'll remember Carly from episode 15, which she hosted... Now Carly and Tad are talking about what it's like to be holed up in that cabin in Wisconsin after evacuating Rwanda about five weeks ago. Tad also shares some stories from his work, where he's a product manager for Eastern Congo Initiative, also known as ECI. 
ECI is an organization working alongside families, entrepreneurs, and local groups to build a better future for the Democratic Republic of Congo. Carly and Tad evacuated Kigali where they were living for Tad's work, and now he's working remotely with the team in Congo to build up their emergency response to COVID-19. When Carly interviewed Tad on April 26th, they talked about that Groundhog Day feeling of quarantine. They also talked about how ECI is helping Congo brace for impact, and why, as Carly puts it, Tad is completely turning into a cookie monster. Hey, Tad. Hey, how are you doing? Good. <laughs> um, <laughs> so this is a little bit of a weird situation because we are currently in the same cabin, but we're in two separate rooms because of audio difficulties. And so it's a little bit of a, of a bizarre feeling to be talking to you in the room over, uh, even though we're in the same place. It feels like maybe we're taking the social distancing thing just a little too far. Maybe a little bit too seriously. <laughs> this is only the way we're going to communicate from now on. So, all right. So we're at the cabin. We've been here for five weeks now. What has this been like for you so far? Yeah, that's a tough one. It's been, you know, so unprecedented, so unlike anything that I could have ever imagined. So for people that listened to the podcast last week, they will have heard that we left uh, or we moved to Rwanda in January. And so then kind of abruptly had to leave Rwanda as international flights uh, were starting to be barred from leaving. And so, you know, as, as since we were making that decision together, it was a very tough decision. And so it's just been like really having to take things kind of with such a short time horizon to any decision right and so i think um it's going well but uh you know it feels a little bit like groundhog's day it feels kind of like um since you don't know really to look past anything past like a week it's really hard to kind of plan or feel like what types of progress you're really making it it feels like i don't know i've sort of hit a place where I, the days go by sometimes slowly, but the weeks go by really, really fast and they all kind of blur into each other. And I think I've heard like multiple people talk about it being Groundhog's Day. And I, yeah, like I can't think of a better way, a better thing to compare it to because I'm like losing all sense of time and place right now. Yeah. I don't know. It's just so weird. Yeah. Days are just going by really quickly. And I think about so much of all of human history, it probably was a lot more like this, right? Of being really close to home, obviously going out, having more of a social life than this. But I think about like here in Northwestern Wisconsin, uh, if you were a farmer or something like that, like a hundred years ago, this would probably feel very, very normal. Um, and I think it just shows how connected we've become and how kind of transient we've become that makes us feel so markedly different. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's true. I also think the setting of being at the cabin and just the countryside really exacerbates that. What do you think has been something unexpected that's resulted from all of this time at the cabin? Has anything surprised you? Um, I guess like little things like never really been up here this much during spring, especially this early part of spring. Um, and so it's been kind of 
surprising to see you know the ice going out on the lake very slowly and um uh seeing the buds starting to to you know bud up so that's been a little bit surprising uh i think it also goes to show like how local all of my observations are they're just like things that are in the yard um <laughs> but yeah i think the other thing that's been surprising is um like i'm very very busy with work uh, but it's another thing where I think because that amount of planning that we can do forward is very limited, uh, it seems like there's a ton of activity and then it's a lot harder to measure kind of our progress, um, particularly as we think about dealing with, uh, COVID itself. Catch me up about what's going, been going on with work. Um, I sort of catch bits and pieces of it with like, you know, calls that I kind of hear your side of the conversation or updates here and there. But like, can you give an update on the big picture of what's happening with coronavirus in Congo right now and what ECI is doing? Yeah. Um, so, uh, yes, I work for Eastern Congo Initiative, which is an organization uh, that's been working in Eastern Congo for about 10 years now. Um, and for those people that maybe aren't that familiar with Congo, I'll just give kind of like a, a bit of an overview so that people kind of have a grounding. And so it's a country of about 84 million people, uh, and it's the size of everything east of the Mississippi in the U.S. So it's about half the size of the continental U.S. So it's a really big country, and but it's got a, not a lot of infrastructure. So actually, the city of Minneapolis has more miles of paved road than the entire country of Congo. Um, and that's because it's really had a very tumultuous past 25 or, or 30 years um, with a lot of conflict and a lot of uncertainty and a lot of uh, emerging crises, whether that be disease uh, epidemics like we're seeing today, um, which Congress had a lot of experience uh, with Ebola, or uh, there's been intermittent civil war going on for about 20 years. And so Congo is a place that's not really crisis and, and times of shock like that aren't unknown to people there. Um, I think that this crisis is a little bit different right now, and particularly because in Congo, uh, we're quite early in seeing how the disease is going to be playing out. And so um, there's about 200 cases in the country. Most of those are in the capital city, which is on the far western side of the country. And uh, we're cases that were imported in and then what we haven't seen yet is actually a lot of community spread. And so that being someone that's come into the country, caught it maybe in the Netherlands or Western Europe or China or India, where there's a lot of uh, people doing business between kind of all those regions. Um, uh, and then spreading it kind of house to house or, or, or within, um, within people that haven't been traveling. And so we did see a couple of those cases starting to spread out into the east but for the past two weeks, it's been holding steady at about five cases in South Kivu province where I work and six cases in North Kivu province. And so it's really puzzling because it's not really following the epidemic trends that you would expect, right? As we look at other countries and saw uh, the very steep climb um, and then the social distancing measures were put into place, which then kind of started to plateau, you know, after a number of weeks. Um, we're not seeing that in Congo. And so we're, we've seen this little tiny uptick, uh, but then we're not seeing kind of the secondary or that real wide community spread happening either in the capital or out in the provinces that I work in. What do you think accounts for that? 
So I think it's, it's really hard to know. Um, and it's kind of because we've got these few uh, data points from the testing, um, but because testing is so limited there currently, it's hard to get a much bigger picture of what's going on. And so then we start to look at kind of these secondary indicators, right? So since there is not that many tests to go around within the country and it takes a little bit of time for those to get processed, uh, we want to then look at, okay, are we seeing a rise in pneumonia? Are we seeing rise in other respiratory illnesses within the clinics that we operate or other clinics that we partner with and uh, see if that could kind of be a, 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 a signpost of where COVID is going. And what's really intriguing mm -hmm. is that we're not even seeing that yet. And so uh, we're seeing that that trend is also true across the region in sub-Saharan Africa. And so some people think that there might be a, a link between a vaccine for tuberculosis called BCG and then some immunity or some resistance to the, the disease. Um, but right now that's uh, possibly a, a correlation, but it's, it's definitely not clear that that would be a causation. Um, mm -hmm. And so we're in this really weird position of like, we know common sense and the little bit that we know about this disease tells us that should be spreading widely where we're at. And that when we would project that that impact would be really, really high, the whole idea of flattening the curve, right, is to make sure that the number of cases of uh, COVID-19 don't surpass the healthcare capacity of that country or, or that mm -hmm. geography. And in Congo, that capacity is already quite low. And some could even say that the curve of just normal diseases or diseases that are happening kind of uh, besides just this pandemic are already kind of surpassing that curve. Um, and so if we did see this disease spreading, uh, we could really easily see the healthcare facilities being overrun. And um, unfortunately, we'd project that there'd be much higher mortality uh, in a place like Congo because of that lack of care than we've seen in other countries um, that have COVID currently. So what's the plan over the next weeks and months as you guys sort of ramp up uh, for this response? Yeah, so, so the biggest thing is that we're um, first and foremost trying to, uh, so what we do is we sell water and we sell health services through social enterprises. That, that's a, a large part of what we do, as well as work with um, local organizations for, uh, by giving them grants. Um, and so first and foremost, what we're doing is uh, we're making sure that we can still sell water um, to communities and do it in a way that keeps our customers safe and keeps our staff safe. Uh, and then likewise, we're doing the same thing within our clinics. And so since we are these essential services that really have a, a, a large impact in people's ability to prevent these diseases or uh, get diagnosed with them very quickly so they can seek care before uh, it becomes more serious. It's really important that we can continue to, to serve within those communities. And so that's kind of our first focus. And then we're, as we're doing that, we're also using, we've kind of built up this brand that's quite well trusted in, in Congo and our customers really like us. And I mean, you've seen this Carly when you've been there, uh, but you know, people will take our logo and put it up all over their house and things like that, which is kind of fun to see. Uh, because there haven't been a lot of brands that have really been able to gain that trust from, from communities. 
And so uh, we're hoping to kind of take that brand equity that we've we've garnered and then leverage that to become a more trusted source of communication or pardon me, of information for mm-hmm. uh, those customers. And so really looking at a lot of the information that we're getting here and that's just becoming kind of best practice at prevent, preventing the spread of COVID and seeing how can we adapt that to the realities in Congo um, because the, the economy just really is not set up well for social distancing, um, nor, nor are people in the house. And so uh, what we want to do is kind of make that real about how people can do that in a tangible way so that people feel um, some agency to protect themselves and protect the other members in their community. The other thing then that we're doing is just really keeping an eye on looking for where that spread will happen. And we're doing a lot of contingency planning about what we can uh, start to do if we do see an uh, increase in the disease. I know I'm thinking about Bukavu, the capital of South Kivu, and just thinking about social distancing in Bukavu. I can't even imagine how that would work because it's just such a bustling, crowded, sort of wild feeling city in some ways. Um, And I just, it's hard for me to imagine social distancing. And so what's been the reaction there for everyday Congolese people living in Bukavu? Have people been trying to social distance or what's been the, um, the form of action in terms of prevention? Yeah. So uh, you're right. You know, it's, it's a very high context or high touch, uh, uh, society and economy, right? And so grocery stores are, there's a couple of them, but they're not very popular. Most people are going into a market. Uh, the markets are very, very crowded because a lot of people are trying to sell their, their goods or their, their produce. And it's also a very, very friendly place, right? Where most relationships aren't really of this transactional nature, right? Um, it's really is a sense of really deep community and belonging and, and sharing with each other. And so that that social fabric aspect is so important day in and day out. And people as just aren't as well equipped to then deal with distant social distancing, right? There's obviously no Instacart, but even just, you know, we're so lucky that most of the, the people uh, in the U.S. are using Zoom or having, you know, able to talk to friends through cell phones. Um, and that's just uh, not a reality for most of the people in Congo. Um, and so just the, the actual, even though there are many people that would like to do it, the reality is, is that it's just not practical. And so um, one of the, the things that we've um, been doing is then seeing, okay, how can we put that into practice, right? How can we take this idea of social distancing, but then also helping people feel how they can stay connected? And so a little thing is we, we had a, a, a patient that came in and uh, because they were presenting all of the signs for uh, COVID, we actually had to refer them on to then be put into quarantine while further testing was done. And it really quickly became apparent just how overwhelming that would be for for anybody, right? Particularly for that family who didn't know that much about the disease, didn't know what they could do to protect themselves or whether they had been at risk. Um, and they also didn't know where that family member was going to be uh, and w- what was the process that they were going to be going through. And so because of that experience, we actually worked with that family to figure out kind of what were all of those questions. And then uh, the team there in, in Congo, who's, they're all rock stars, went out and found the answers to those. Um, and then we've created pamphlets for people 
And we're actually trying to work with some uh, telecom providers there to give uh, some free airtime. Um, so free minutes of, for people to call. That's cool. So that yeah. They can stay connected during this time. What's been the hardest thing working remotely from a cabin in Wisconsin when most of your teammates are halfway around the world? Yeah, you know, it's uh, it's amazing what uh, WhatsApp has done, really. Um, we don't use a, a ton of email. Um, we actually, uh, I think the informal and kind of the, the dialogue nature of WhatsApp allows us to get a lot more done. And so it's obviously difficult uh, uh, just in terms of not being able to have as many face-to-face conversations. Um, but we're able to really keep up that cadence uh, of communicating every day. Um, I think the the thing that I really miss is first and foremost just hanging out with my teammates there because they're super cool. But I also feel like not I'm not able to support them as well and really know everything that they're going through um, because. I'm not there on the, on, you know, next to them in Bukavu and, and seeing the same yeah. things. And so, uh, I, I think that's a, a bit of a challenge. Um, but I have worked remotely quite a bit, um, with the team. And so we've kind of been able to establish a good cadence and, uh, you know, it's not completely new to us. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, you've you've been practicing this for a while. It's just sort of it's extended lo- much longer than it normally does. Oh, for sure. So switching gears a little bit, back to the cabin life. What's uh, what's been the most fun thing that you think we've done here since we've been at the cabin? So I think it's actually uh, it's been kind of fun getting into baking. I feel like uh, the, the my ability to now look at a ne- pretty much empty pantry and figure out some way to make a cookie out of things I'm kind of proud of. And I think that's a quarantine skill that will stick with me. Yeah. I'm grateful for that for sure. (laughs) You made a cookie uh, like three weeks ago that I don't think I'll ever forget. What was it again? Salted caramel, no butterscotch salted caramel with walnuts. What was it again? Uh, I don't know what the name of it is, but it's yeah. Salted caramel brown butter, uh, walnuts, coconut, a little bit of peanut butter. And then the thing that I read this on the internet, I had never thought to do this, but to put cereal into the, the batter and you kind of mash it up. Yeah. And it's like so sweet. I, and I mean, I feel bad because I ate probably three quarters of all of those cookies within about an hour. Yeah. Well, that is true. I am firsthand witness uh, to that. I have turned into a cookie monster. Yeah, you have. You have. But I have too. So it's okay. I think every single interview I've done so far, I've talked about cookies. So I think that's just <laughs> like, like 40% of my day-to-day right now. Yeah. Um, yeah. Those were, I think were my favorite cookies that you've made for sure. I think What's your favorite thing that we've cooked so far? So the favorite thing that I think that we cooked was when we bought those take and bake enchiladas from uh, Centro in Minneapolis and brought those up to the cabin and all we had to do is put them in the oven, but they were so delicious. Those were really delicious. Speaking of um, 
So, you know, we're, we're not near the city, so we don't even have access to like the, the curbside pickup or the delivery of a lot of the restaurants that we love, except for when we make the occasional trip in. But when this is over, what's the first place you're going to in the cities? First place I'll go will probably be up coffee <laughs> just to get more beans. Uh, but in terms of restaurants, I don't know. I'm really craving pizza. And so I think uh, maybe birch pizza. Did bring home Baludos the other day from your trip into the cities. And I don't know, that pizza is pretty mind blowing. I think I might, I think I might scoot on over there next time we're able to. Yeah, no, it'll be, um, I'm looking forward to getting things at a point where they can be a little bit more open. Um, I do think it'll be a while though. And so I do think one of the things that even if we're back in the cities uh, before all the social distancing is done, uh, I'm just really looking forward to trying out a lot of those other kind of take and bake options and different things that a lot of restaurants are doing to continue to uh, serve food to communities. So do you have any words of encouragement or recommendations for people who are listening right now? Yeah, so I think one of the things that I guess I really hope that we come through this on the other side collectively is um, more empathy for people that deal with this uncertainty as almost a constant in their life, right? The fact that, like we were talking about, our time horizons have become so short and that's so aberrant is not the norm for so many people in the world. And so I hope this kind of low level of anxiety that we're feeling and just the uh, inability uh, to kind of know what to be doing next. To me, that that's going to be a short-term problem. We're going to get through this, right? And what we looked at on the other side, I'm not exactly sure what that will be. I just hope we remember that feeling so that as we see other people in other crises that are, are less global, but just as serious, we can remember what that felt like so that we can uh, maybe look with a little bit more kindness on others. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Well, cool. Anything else you want to add? No, I, th- I think that does it. I'm kind of uh, ready to get back into the same room as you. I think you can probably come out of that room now and we can hang out the rest of the night. What do you think? I don't think we have any other options, so we might as well. <laughs> <laughs> uh, just another night in quarantine. Okay, sounds good. All right. Talk to you soon. Thanks for doing this. <laughs> so, yeah, I'll talk to you in like two seconds. Good two seconds. All right. Bye. Thank you for listening. And thank you to Giovanna, Maxi, and Tad for coming on the podcast and for connecting with all of us. If you'd like to help this podcast, please go to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play Music, or Stitcher and rate and review this podcast. It totally helps. If you want to know more about my surrogacy journey with Giovanna, check the show notes to links to the podcast episodes that we made together about our journey with Hope Surrogacy. You'll also find a link to the episode of this podcast I made with our good friend, Amy, who works at Hope Surrogacy. And if you want to know more about Tad's work in Congo with the Eastern Congo Initiative, go to easterncongo.org. 
Finally, if you feel like someone you know might feel comforted by hearing the voices of everyday people during this time, please share this podcast with them on Facebook or Instagram. Here's a bunch of love to everyone out there. We'll get through this together.